0: So today as we continue working through this core seminar session, uh, today we consider church leadership and specifically the interaction between the leadership and the congregation. Now you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the biblical offices of elders and deacons. In that class, the emphasis was on God giving us instruction as to how we should organize uh, ourselves in the church for his glory and our good. In today's class on leadership, we'll address uh, more of the personal side of church leadership. Specifically, um, what we're thinking through is how uh, we can promote unity through our faithful submission and encouragement of leadership. While at the same time, As a congregation, we're doing our job to think through uh, how to protect the church from disunity and serious doctrinal error. So let me start the class by uh, getting some of your thoughts on this question. How can we as uh, church members relate to our leaders in ways that promote unity and bring glory to God? What are some thoughts that you have on that? How can we... um, promote unity and come alongside our uh, leaders, our elders and deacons as church members in a way that promotes unity. Kyle? Yeah, giving them
1: the benefit of mm. starting the house, starting with that as like a starting position, yeah. not with
0: you know, vice versa. Yeah, that's good. Yep. For,
1: I think uh, dying to our pride
0: that we're not going to get things that we want done, and that's okay. Yeah. yeah it's good, too. Very practical stuff. Lucy? Hey, amen. Amen. Yes. More than anything, <laughs> pray for us. Respecting them, but yet not putting
1: them on a higher uh, level, you know, like who is Paul, who is
0: Apollos? You know, they're just weaknesses that we do in the same old nature and they need to be fed to and
1: encouraged and cared yeah. Amen. So, yep.
0: uh, Amen. fed for. So treat them as brothers in the Lord first Amen. and then as leaders.
1: Yeah. good. I just want to add, I think if, if, um, if, we see if the church and the people see a display of, of camaraderie and unity and you know, serving with each other, I think that would also, you know, be an example for everybody else. So they're so unified, they're so together, they support each other, they support each other. That will continue
0: to, that will, spread into yeah. the rest of the world. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. So modeling that, that unity and that humility. Amen. It's a good point. <clears throat> so those are all. I think everything that was said we're going to touch on in the class today, as we think through church leadership. So let's start by looking at Hebrews 13:17, and it'll be up on the screen. Let me have someone read this for us.: Obey your leaders and submit to them. And they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning,
1: for that would be of no advantage to. All
0: right, thank you. So these are strong words right? <clears throat> Obey, submit, uh, particularly in today's egalitarian and individualistic culture. But these words aren't simply uh, there to maintain order. We read that submission in the church is to our advantage. It's through submission that we model the godly humility that should characterize us. It's through submission that we maintain unity in the midst of disagreement demonstrating that our shared calling in Christ is more important than um, our differences of opinion or taste. Ultimately, our trust or confidence in those who are over us is um, much more than just uh, confidence in men, because we know that all men fail, and all men are just men at best. We are still men of dust. Instead, it's really a confidence in Christ who gives leaders to his church and works through them for our blessing. Right. So when you think about that, um, this is what that uh, that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that we just become unthinking yes men. Right. So trusting the leadership doesn't mean that we take uh, the opinions of our elders as truth without question. Each church member is responsible for trusting, wise, discernment, right? So responsible to be trusting, wise, and discerning. So we'll start today with what we can do to positively encourage leadership, the the leadership of our church, um, and how we can make their work a joy, as Hebrews 13 says. Then we'll devote the rest of the class to examining how we should respond when we disagree with leadership, the leadership of the church, a decision they make, something they choose to do. All right, so let's, let's get to it. So uh, Roman number two in your handout there, make their work a joy, make their work a joy. So one of the best things we can do to promote unity in our church is to help our leaders see their work as a God-given delight. Now, of course, this isn't, or this is complicated, and it can be complicated because of the fact that we are sinners. Uh, We are sinners, leadership are sinners, uh, members are sinners, all of us. We are corrupted and still tainted by sin. We're not sinless yet. But recognizing all of that, our calling in Scripture, as we saw a few minutes ago, is to obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you, the scripture says. So we should never underestimate the connection between a congregation's attitude and their leadership's, the leader's ability. So many unhappy church situations could be resolved if congregations saw their leaders as partners in the church's great calling to reflect the glory of Christ rather than adversaries to the outcome. So leaders are human beings, right? We struggle with indecision. Uh, They find that the decisions that they need to make exceed their wisdom or their experience. Uh, They can struggle with insecurity. They can be heard and discouraged in their work by unaware or insensitive church members. So often, we implicitly assume that our leaders must be perfect. Then when we see signs of their imperfection, their humanity, right? Uh, either in sin or in questionable decisions or annoying characteristics they have, we feel empowered to deride their leadership. But remember that you are the object of the leader's careful watch. They are keeping watch over your souls. Again, Hebrews 13:17. And God cares for our souls. Right. So therefore, he appoints leaders to warn us of spiritual danger. Now, how can we help them to do their job? Just a few ideas here. <clears throat> so for your reference, this is based off of a book by uh, Wayne Mack and David uh, Swovely, or Swovely, called Life in the Father's House, a member's guide to the local church. So one. Believe in Christ Jesus and walk in obedience. So the first point is obvious here, but it's always worth mentioning again. We can encourage our leaders by believing the gospel and by walking in obedience to God's word. So think of John's words here in uh, 3 John 1-4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So there's joy in seeing God's Hand working and conforming us more and more to the image of Christ. There's joy in seeing God's people use their gifts for the edification of the body. There's joy in seeing members share the love of Christ with each other. There's joy in seeing saints persevere in the faith through difficult times. And of course, how will church leaders be encouraged by our delight and growth in Christ? if we keep it to ourselves, right? So it's encouraging, and we suggest that you let your leaders know what Christ is doing in your own life. And when we ask you how you're doing, tell us, right? So good things that the Lord is doing in your life, and if you're in a season of God's afflictive providence, um, ways that you've been discouraged, ways that we can pray for you, this is good for us to know, right? And it makes our, this, this shepherding a joy. Two, cultivate and preserve the unity in the body. So Paul wrote about this to the Philippians when he said, in uh, Philippians 2, 1 and 2, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind." So when the leaders are looking for uh, beacon candidates, or even those to facilitate in certain areas, uh, they're looking for someone who is sort of this shock of, of absorber. This is what I mean. Someone who has a calming and clarifying effect in touchy or dicey situations. And that's not something just for deacons, but that's, of course, something for all Christians to do. James says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what kind of congregation is of great encouragement to its leaders, those who are um, seeking peace? That doesn't mean that there's never situations where (laughs) there may be debate or even confrontation, but the disposition should be even in the necessary debate. Sometimes, um, unity and uh, even doctrinal clarification; these things are necessary. But it's all in obedience to what we see in Ephesians 4, and a striving to preserve the unity. <clears throat> now, how can we pr- promote unity by being shock ob- observers? Well. Uh, that's what this whole course is about, which we're talking about striving to preserve the unity. But here are some things that we can uh, consider as we strive to, to do that. First, we want to act towards others in love. Act towards others in love. Remember what Peter writes in First Peter 4:8. Someone want to read this for us? <laughs> loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Thank you keep loving one another because love covers a multitude of sins so our disposition should be to act towards others in love. Second along those lines remember in the midst of disagreement that while our opinions are temporary the people with whom we disagree are eternal. Be careful in the midst of disagreement that you don't tempt a brother or sister to sin and anger or resentment. <clears throat> At times, we can interact with each other as if we're interacting with a uh, philosophy and not an embodied soul, as if we're interacting with a theological disposition and not an embodied soul. So you're conversing with a dissertation paper rather than a person. <laughs> um, we should act in love towards one another And keep in mind how we uh, serve one another in that way is to remember, again, that we are, we're we're people. We're embodied souls. We have thoughts, feelings, affections, all these other things. Um, And so that can help us as we think through how we converse with one another.
1: I just wanted to ask in a sense and all that because I'm always, in a sense, dealing with this balance,
0: you know, the love balance, I guess you could call it, right? Yeah. Because there is the, you know, the deceitful other cases of, yeah. That was an area where, like, you know what?
1: Sometimes we think loving is just, oh, it's okay. I feel sorry for you. Or here, I give you hugs, I give you love, I give you
0: understanding. But right.
1: If, if there's not a encouraging, I guess, sometimes reproach. Right. You know, because sometimes, and sometimes people don't want to hear, they want sympathy, but don't necessarily want to hear the truth, in the same Yeah. Way. So I'm always kind of dealing with that. Are you, you know, just my question is, are you going to deal you with know, some of that in yes. here? Or, okay, great. <laughs>
0: Yep. Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier, um, at times it is necessary to confront. I mean, we are called to counsel one another, and scripture tells us clearly that we ought to be, at times, reproving and confronting um, these, in, in these areas. So that's not, so love, love isn't the opposite of reproof, right? So we shouldn't have those in two separate categories. How we do them, can show whether or not we are being loving. But those aren't two separate categories. If that's the case, then Jesus was never (laughs) loving. Force I just wanted to say, in our culture, love is very emotional. In biblical language, this is probably talking about agape love, which is um, fatherly, loving, which means sometimes confronting and sometimes uh, nurturing, caring for. Yep. It's a different, love. Our, our whole concept presently in our culture is off. Yeah. It's yeah. all emotional and, uh, you know, splurged on by entertainment and everything else. And yep. We yep. need to have the right look at what love truly is. Yep. <clears throat> yep. All right, so that was uh, one and two. Third, we should encourage others to trust our leaders. So, yes, our leaders aren't perfect, but we should still have a bias towards trust, not cynicism. When someone comes to us with a concern about the decision of our church leaders, and we happen to know the reasoning behind that decision, take the time to explain it to them, maybe bring some clarification. If we don't, or if a better explanation doesn't help their concern, we should strongly encourage them to speak directly to the church leader rather than letting things fester, mm-hmm. right? So uh, point them in the direction, and this is just the basic principle of Matthew 18, go, go to them, talk to them, share with them what you're thinking through, allow for that conversation to happen, um, as opposed to um, having a thought, keeping it in, um, maybe assuming things and letting it fester into a root of, of bitterness. We, we don't want that either. <clears throat> and, This is across the board with one another as well, but in our class specifically in the area of leadership. Can I just say
1: something really
0: quick? Yes.
1: Right, That's really cool, you know, and so I'm like, What did your church leader say about that? And you know, you, um, and so she, you know, like, what, were you, what, what was this going to look like? Right. She's like, what <laughs> um, you know, like, but, you know what I mean, like, just people need that further encouragement, especially young people, Yeah they, they can be so zealous, like, they don't necessarily understand, you know, that the leadership is there to protect
0: them. Right, right, absolutely. And that's that's good to even have that in mind as you're talking with someone who maybe you know or don't know, but to even, in that way, remind them of the church, <laughs> the necessity of the local church. And again, to your point, a lot of people aren't thinking about uh, their their local church and uh, the the leaders of the local church as Christ appointed. So a lot of times we have sort of Christ care over here and then the local church over here when there are those appointed in the local church as a display of Christ care for the church. And so even that just having that in mind to give her to sort of think a little bit and of course you know you were in line with her own pastor, so <laughs> i think that's a sign but um the, the yeah un- the
1: underlining christ appointed is missed in some settings i have been in churches heard churches we voted you in and we mm. can vote you out yeah uh and you well, don't have that
0: type of church government
1: uh, <laughs> yes yeah there, yeah there, there, there is such wisdom in you know building you know elevating elders from inside rather than, Oh, we're going to do the search committee. We're going to look at a few sermons and bring in one sermon, vote on you and you're in. And then it's train wreck. Um, sure. but, but again, that, that, that creates almost that adversarial consumer type That's of setting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're paying you dance for us mm. as opposed to this is God's man with God's anointing. Um, and probably a lot of people sitting in this room have, have endured some really mm. odd church yeah. situations.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well said. Well said. You said what I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have Rusty. often wondered if the, um, I guess the fractured nature of our church, the fact that most uh, the church generally, the buck stops at the, the local level for churches is... Um,
1: a reflection of our culture is not wanting to trust beyond the local church, hmm. because we don't know them very well. Uh, do you think that this relates to that, or is that a different topic? Um,
0: let me make sure I understand. What's your question?
1: Why is it related, the fact that the, that for the majority of Protestantism, Okay. Uh, the local church is the highest level of governance,
0: that we don't trust our our leaders? Yeah, that is a good question that um, I answered in last week's class when we talked about church (laughs) governance, (laughs) why we hold to the governance that we do hold to. So um, I'm going to continue and encourage you to listen to last week's class, Okay. Okay. Uh, point three here, pray for your church leaders. To Lucy's point earlier, praying for your church leaders. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 11, Paul writes, he, as Christ, delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So this passage reminds us of two reasons why we should pray regularly for church leaders. First, they've been given a difficult task to act in human weakness, to shepherd a congregation of fallen people, including each other. But additionally, we should pray for church leaders so that we may rejoice and thank God When our prayers are answered, then we'll be able to sort of sit back and be in awe of God's power um, as we experience the joy that we have in Christ and that we share. Fourth, express your love for them. Later in 2 Corinthians, Paul describes how this felt to him, this expression of love. I'll just, uh, you can turn there, uh, 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, 5 to 7. But I'll just read it for us. He says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he has comforted, which, which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more." So you see this turnaround in what Paul describes here. He goes from this body of ours had no rest to my joy was greater than ever. Consider the fact that your encouragement might be God's comfort to a leader who's struggling with discouragement and downcastness. And if you're not the sort of extroverted type who's, you know, always, you know, making encouraging comments to everyone, your words might sink a little deeper for them. But it's encouraging. Fifth, seek their counsel and uh, gratefully accept their reproof. The advice of church leaders, whether solicited or unsolicited, should be a valuable part of our lives. Part of their job as shepherds is to identify and address problems in our lives before they become damaging. Two components of this point. First, remember that for either counsel or reproof to be specific and well-conceived, our leaders must know what's going on in our own lives. It's a good habit to make sure that at least one church leader is aware of what you're struggling with and with what big decisions maybe you have on the horizon, what may be discouraging you at the time. So talk regularly to your church leaders, both the elders as well as the deacons. And of course, treat godly rebuke as precious and worthy of careful consideration. Proverbs 9:8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. <laughs> reprove a wise man and he will love you. Spurgeon in his uh, lectures to my students, he talks about, um, so he's, these lectures are sort of to uh, these pastors in his uh, college, pastor's college. And he um, writes about a young man at a church who comes into the pastorate and how the young man receives uh, correction, admonishment, encouragement, and rebuke compared to how the old man does, or the man who is uh, more seasoned maybe in the pastorate. And he says of the young man, um, <clears throat> people will uh, say things and, and make little comments and you know maybe rebuke and confront. And he said of this young man, they would cause him to sort of implode and envelop. And they would be so deeply discouraging to him. And he says, <clears throat> we may have sympathy for the young man, but uh, the young man, by how he receives the rebuke, could be so much better helped if he saw it as God's care for him, rather than as Satan's attack of him. And so he talks about this older man, who has maybe been in the pastor for a little longer, and has seasoned, and how he takes the rebuke and the reproof, and he sees it as precious and he stores it and he sifts through and thinks on it and he um, hides it in his heart and it's, he's made all the better by it. He's speaking to you know, pastors, but in any context across the board, we should receive rebuke uh, and correction um, with uh, discernment um, from our leaders, with a, a trusting uh, care Again, like I said earlier, we don't just become unthinking yes men, but there should be a disposition of trust rather than a disposition of cynicism, OK? <clears throat> so pray that God would grow us in a maturity in Christ so that we'll react positively to reproof when it's offered rather than defensively the default. Six, believe the best about their character and decisions again we're this class is on church leadership believe the best about their character and decisions in 1st Thessalonians 5:12 to 13 it says we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the lord and, admon- and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work be at peace among yourselves Now, let me read a paragraph from uh, Mac's book that I mentioned earlier, since it sort of captures what we're thinking through here. He says, though we are always prone to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, our sinful flesh has a strong tendency to be suspicious, skeptical, and even cynical towards others. This is especially true of church leaders. Many members make a regular habit of enjoying roast preaching at their Sunday meal and labels like power trip are often carelessly tossed around when difficult decisions are made by leadership. But biblical love, according to 1 Corinthians 13:7, believes all things, hopes all things. A loving member will assume the best about their leaders and turn them into, I'm sorry, a loving member will assume the best about his leaders and trust them until some clear words or actions cause him legitimate concern about their wisdom or motives. So we should trust our church leaders unless we hear clear responses or reasons to the contrary. And we should work hard not to presume their motives unless there's some objective basis for doing so. So often, we don't get upset um, about what's done, but why it's done. Uh, Why was that decision made? Why was that done? Uh, which, of course, can be presumptuous uh, unless the person tells us exactly why they did something. So uh, if uh, something happens or a decision is made, um, guard, we need to guard ourselves from uh, assuming or presuming motives. right? Because that can be dangerous for our own spirituality and our relationship with that person. So often decisions are made about um, which we disagree or we even don't have a complete knowledge of. It's dangerous to place much confidence in our opinion of what should have been done without any conversation with the church leaders. And it's hazardous to presume sinful reasons for why things are done. Only God knows the heart of a man. We should never presume that we understand his motives. So this is a good place to discuss godly criticism of our church leaders godly criticism. So our leaders are human beings. They're imperfect, just like the rest of us, as has been said earlier. And so we should remember to be humble, loving, and kind when we approach a leader with appropriate constructive criticism. We should be cautious that we aren't being overly critical or coming forward with criticism you know, too frequently. Like, every week there's another <laughs> criticism. But we should always remember that there are occasions which do call for godly criticism, right? We should work hard to cultivate a culture where loving, thoughtful criticism is being given carefully and invited freely. So there's a responsibility on both ends, those giving the criticism and those receiving it. Giving, given carefully and invited freely. Remember Proverbs 25, 11. a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. They're valuable, they're, they're precious. <clears throat> so six ways we can obey the scriptural command to respect those who serve us as leaders and to make their, joy, uh, or their work a joy. One, walk in obedience to Christ. Two, cultivate and persevere unity. Three, pray for your church leaders. Four, express your love for them. Five, seek their counsel and accept their reproof. And six, trust their character and decisions. Now, I want to say something on uh, how we should think about this uh, done uh, in the body and how it has effects on our, our unity. <clears throat> the care and love that the members here have, I should say, has been really uh, encouraging. Um, we haven't gotten a sense that there's is this uh, con- consistent and persistent um, uh, cynicism, right? It's uh, our our church here. Thinking about FBC is a a loving church that has, I think, has done well to display this with each other and with the leadership. Um, our relationships aren't without <laughs> uh, uh, tension at times. As we are fallen, we work through these things together. But I praise God for what we do have here at FBC, because I think it's it's a blessing. I think it's a privilege. Um, in my own church history, uh, it's I've been at churches where it's just been terrible. And I've said this before, FBC isn't the only good church, but we should be thankful for what the Lord has given us here at this church. And I want to say that for me and behalf of the leaders as well. OK, third, Roman numeral three on your paper. Uh, what do we do when we disagree? So the second part of our class, um, we'll talk about how we, what, what we do when we disagree with church elders. Let me just say that we'll leave aside for a few weeks um, what we should do when we see elders in blatant sin. But right now, we want to think through what we do when we disagree, when, it's not, when that's not the case. Um, inevitably, there will be times when elders make decisions that we don't agree with. Our response will go a long way toward either promoting unity or promoting dissension. Now, in your handout, there's an access or an axis for measuring how clear uh, uh, the answer to particular questions are, and other um, uh, is a measurement of seriousness. So it's in your handout, and I'll be referring and passing to that for the rest of the class. So starting at the upper left section, we have those things which are clear in scripture, but not serious. Honestly, I can't hardly think of something in that category. Um, (laughs) If God decides something is important enough, Uh, clear in the Bible, we should listen to it. Uh, So for now, we'll go down to (laughs) the lower left. Um, We have matters that are neither serious nor clear. So for example, which copier should we use in the church office? Um, How long should our meet and greet time during service be? We may be very passionate about these things, Um, We we, we want to use this canon, and we have to use the canon or else we won't get the number of prints we We can have any any number of reasons for being passionate about these certain things. But um, I would categorize them as neither serious nor clear. But a church will do well to submit to the decisions of the leaders who probably, in these cases, who probably delegate some of these questions to other church members. If you have an opinion about an issue, You should speak up, but never in a way that's harsh or divisive. Church unity is far more important than our preferences and opinions on these issues that are neither serious nor clear. All right, um, now for the two quadrants on the right, where the questions get a little more challenging. What about issues that are serious, but not at all clear? Serious, but not clear. Should we move forward with this person or deacon, as we consider an office bearer? Should we purchase this property to build on? These things are serious, but not always clear. In these situations, a <clears throat> congregation should listen carefully to their elders and give them the benefit of the doubt. This is why God has placed them over us. Now. Does this mean that some of these decisions are not difficult for us to accept? Of course, there are diff- decisions that are made that are difficult for us to accept and to see, why, why you know, left instead of right? Why do we do that instead of this? Why this person instead of that person? So how do we disagree in a godly way about these things where the answer isn't clear, but the implications for the church are very serious? A few suggestions. First, we should recognize that we have an important role to play in this, and that is to bring information to the elders. The elders aren't always aware of every need in the church, nor do they have perfect information. Right? If the elders are considering someone for the office of deacon, and you have reason to believe that that person is un- he's not qualified biblically, then come and approach us privately and let's talk through it. If we're considering a certain property to build and uh, we're thinking about a new building to build on this property, and you have reason to believe that it would be a bad idea for various reasons, approach us privately and let's talk through it. It might present You might present uh, good reason for us to rethink a certain direction, right? It's, it's okay um, as we think through these things, but how we go about working through what we disagree with is extremely important. So you can play a helpful role by bringing information to the elders attention, but then we should trust what they do with that information, okay? So bringing it to the elders attention is not saying, I brought it, why didn't you do what I brought to your attention? That's different, that may be a different motive, but bringing it to their our attention and and trusting what we do with that. Second, if you disagree with the decision that the leaders have made, sit down and talk with them to understand their reasoning. The elders are willing and wanting to do this. They see our, their spiritual care for the congregation as their highest duty in the church. This is true, we do. So give yourself full opportunity to share and hear from them and approach the matter with a teachable spirit. Maybe you're thinking what if I'm intimidated by that, by the, that, that leader? How do I, how can I engage in this kind of conversation? Well, in the long run, I would say counter that feeling with getting to know the leadership better. In the short term, I would say, you should probably talk to them anyway about the concerns and there are times, at times, where having a conversation first with another church leader could be wise, right? <clears throat> if even after talking to the elders, you still disagree on the matter um, in whatever category it is, that's okay. Every Christian is not going to agree on everything all the time. You can trust them and disagree at the same time. That's possible. And this is really where the rubber meets the road for us. Hebrews 13:17. Again, so it's it's one thing to obey leaders when we are enthusiastic about a decision that's made and we are for that decision and it's sort of in the favor of our thinking. But it's another thing to submit when we disagree with the decision that they've made. Now, we are always submitting in obedience and faith, but that's probably evidenced more when a decision is made that we disagree with. Or plan of action is taken that we disagree with um, the scripture is calling us in those times as well to submit and obey to make their work a joy <clears throat> by faith we trust christ himself to rule over us by his word and spirit through his leaders now at this point let me say that um, to through uh, what what the elders are called to do when there's disagreement with each other that's another you know, topic of conversation but uh, briefly on this they're called to submit to each other majority of the elders there will be time when every elder will be in the minority on a vote on a certain issue in those circumstances the elder uh, will be in, in those cert- certain circumstances at times an elder will be in the minority In those circumstances, the elder is called to submit to the majority of elders, trusting that God is working through the elders in this specific decision with wisdom, counsel, talking, discussion, all these things. So if one of the elders comes out um, and a decision is made that it may be not in favor, I think it's wise for us to think through it together and to be submitting to one another. So to the point earlier, I think Miguel made, um, and seeing within the eldership a co-humbling, uh, submitting uh, humility within each other, um, I think there are times where uh, certain decisions are made where you know one elder may not, or two elders may not agree with it, but they should submit to uh, the others in those decisions. Third, <clears throat> be careful how you discuss these issues with others. So thinking about again. Um, uh, the congregation in uh, discussion with, with leadership. Be careful how we discuss certain things with others. For issues in this category of serious but unclear, our unity as a church will bring greater glory to Christ than the making of uh, the optimal decision at the time. In other words, don't go behind the elders lobbying support in the congregation to try to overturn a decision they've made Don't ridicule or make fun of the elder's decision and your conversation with others, which can be easy to do. You risk making it more difficult for them to trust the elders, this person you're talking to. And if you speak about your view at a congregational business meeting, which we have occasionally, do it with grace, kindness, and humility. We are embodied souls, we're not disagreeing with a walking dissertation or a walking thesis. We're embodied souls. If we're talking to each other about things we disagree with, then do it in such a way that upholds your brother's character and doesn't demean it. Finally, when others attempt to ridicule leadership and conversations with you, explain to them that they should talk directly to the elders, Uh, Matthew 18 principle if they have a concern uh, that they're, uh, that the elders are willing to have these discussions or open to these discussions, um, encourage that. Uh, This is one of the many ways that we can participate in instructing and counseling one another, all right? Now let's consider this last category in the matrix where the issues are clear and also serious, clear and serious. First, a church is not a place of secret campaigning or lobbying. Mm -hmm. If a member of the congregation, (laughs) this is my old church, -hmm. Um, if a member of the, which is fine, (laughs) if a member of the congregation feels that the elders are crossing a line of uh, discipline or doctrine, he or she should ask, or sorry, he or she should again speak with the elders to make sure that what they're understanding is happening is actually happening. Because at times we can hear things or understand things and it's been sort of the telephone game uh, when it would be better for us to go and speak to the elder directly or the leader or the deacon directly. Second, if there's an issue in this category where the elders are advocating a clearly unbiblical position, this is a good time to seek the counsel of godly leaders from other churches. Probably or preferably those that are familiar with the church, right? Third, we have to take care to protect the name of Christ in the midst of what may be a very disheartening and disturbing agreement. Sometimes uh, you read on the internet and in different places of members who contacted the media to sort of get behind them to lobby against uh, you know, a, a leader or, or their opponent in the church. That should never characterize the church. The Apostle Paul chastised the church at Corinth for taking disagreements between church members to civil court. Again, how does God view these things? The reputation of Christ has to be most important in our minds. We must not take an action nor speak a word regardless of the circumstance that would ever defame Christ's name in the eyes of the world or slander one for whom Christ died. Even more than the unity of the church, Christ is to be our joy and our treasure. And in doing that, we will promote unity in the church. <clears throat> All right, in closing here, <clears throat> as we look at this last category of disagreement, I pray that our church will never find ourselves in a situation like this, God forbid. But if something does ever happen like this, let's take hope in the way the Lord has preserved his church through the centuries. And let's rejoice that God's purpose will triumph regardless of our faults, unwise decisions, and sinful behavior. I'm going to close with a quote from Jay Adams in a book, uh, Christian Living. He says, few things are sapping the strength of the church of Christ more than the unreconciled state of many believers. So many have matters deeply embedded in their claws like iron wedges forced between themselves and other Christians. They can't walk together because they do not agree. When they should be marching side by side through this world, taking men captive for Christ, they are acting instead like an army that has been routed and scattered and whose troops are in confusion and have begun fighting with each other nothing is sapping the church of christ of her strength so much as, as these unresolved problems these loose ends among believing christians that have never been tied up there is no excuse for this sad condition he says for the bible does not allow for loose ends god wants no loose ends so i think uh, what he's inviting there and encapsulating is Uh, Ephesians for striving to be at peace with everyone amongst ourselves, amongst the elders, with the elders, with the leaders, with the deacons, with the church leadership. Again, we're thinking about um, embracing unity, cultivating unity, and church leadership. So, hope these things are helpful to get us to think through some things. They may be encouraging, they may be challenging, um, but. I think the word the word is clear on these matters. And again, it's uh, for the congregation, it's for the, the laymen, the congregation, it's for the elders, it's for the deacons. This is across the board, because I'm shepherded too. <laughs> Pastor Ron is shepherded, Pastor Rick is shepherded, Pastor Will, we're shepherded by each other as well. So this isn't uh, just for you, but it is in the context of church leadership. So take those things, pray and pray. Uh, May the Lord give us grace to strive to preserve the unity. All right, let me pray first. Lord, we thank you for your kindness toward us. We thank you for your word, which is sufficient for life and godliness. Um, we pray that you will continue to grow us in a love for yourself and a love for one another as we strive to preserve the unity by obedience to your word and uh, uh, submission to what your word says uh, as you care for us in this way.